All right, well, good morning again. And again, thank you for letting us take a little bit of time to do some uh, family business. January the 1st, we will begin a new era in the life of our church as we move from basically kind of a committee-led uh, church to becoming an elder-led church. And, and speaking of that, um, both Jeff and Steve were approved with a 98.6% approval rate. So that's great unity and really excited for those men. Let's congratulate them and... Uh, it's just been a great process that the Lord's taken us to. And in the midst of it, even as we're seeking to grow in our ability to minister to the Lord this past year, um, 37 covenant members uh, joined and became covenant members, not counting their kids. So the Lord's continuing to add to our number day by day. And so we're excited about that. This morning, as I told you last week, I said last week was the penultimate. That means this week is the final uh, sermon through this long series in Luke, uh, 70 sermons. We're coming to an end uh, of this. Hopefully this long study has been helpful to you. Um, this book was written by Luke uh, to a Roman official named Theophilus, also to us, just to help him and us better understand both the person of Jesus, who he is, and the work of Jesus, what he came to do. And so I pray that over this last Really, two years with a lot of interruptions, uh, this has been helpful to you uh, in stirring your affections for the person and work of Christ. But finishing up today, December the 10th, is really fitting uh, in the midst of this Advent season that we're in. And sometimes at Providence, we formally recognize Advent and we go through the traditional lighting of the candle week by week with uh, hope and peace and joy and love in Christ. This year we're not doing that, but we will rec reference it on uh, our Christmas Eve service. We'll light the Advent wreath that Sunday. Um, well, yeah, that is Sunday this year. Um, but Advent is all about expectation. It's all about anticipation. All right. And so in the Old Testament, the people of God were, were expecting and anticipating and wanting and longing for the Messiah to appear. And then He came, His first advent. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But today, we are still longing for advent, and it's the second advent when Christ returns to the earth and restores all that's been broken. We talked about this last week. And sin is no more. And death is no more. And sorrow and pain and injustice and hatred. All these things go extinct. And they're replaced solely by being in the presence of God. And the restoration of all that's been broken. And so we're, we're longing for that. And we look forward to that guaranteed hope that, that's coming. That that day is coming. And so the second advent, we're longing for that. But the return of Christ, the second advent, necessarily implies that he has gone away. And that's what we have before us this morning at the end of Luke. We have Christ's ascension back into heaven. And I think when we think about the, you know, when Christ ascended back into heaven, I don't think that that work of Christ gets near the press or attention that it deserves. Because as we mine into it, it has massive implications of great joy for all His people. And so this morning, I'm hoping I can open your eyes to a few of those things um, and that we would be helped and encouraged by them this morning. So the way I'd like to make our way through this is by 
answering and looking at three simple questions. All right, three simple questions. Number one, what happened? All right. Number two, what it means. And then number three, how should we respond? All right. So what happened, what it means, and then how should we respond? And for the first one, what happened? We're just going to read the Bible. All right. It'd be very simple with this. We're just going to read the Bible. Obviously, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24 here. But Luke actually records the uh, ascension of Jesus twice. He does so once at the end of his gospel here, Luke 24. But then he also does so at the beginning of the sequel book he wrote, which we know is the book of Acts. And so the ascension kind of serves as the bridge between his first book and his second book, both of which he dedicated to this high-ranking Roman official, Theophilus, who was either maybe a new believer or just a skeptic. That's why at the beginning of this whole series, we said, hey, this is a series, skeptics welcome. That's what he's doing here. He's writing to those who might be skeptical, and he gave Luke as an orderly account. And so we'll look at Luke 24, and we will look at Acts chapter 1. So page 885 for Luke 24, page 909 for Acts chapter 1 in the Bibles around you. Let's read together. Starting in Luke, verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. All right, so Jesus has has died for sin. He's resurrected. He's been hanging around for quite a while. All right, 40 days. This is what I told you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so, again, I think I said this last week, but Jesus is not just the fulfillment of a couple of select uh, Old Testament prophecies. So we take one from Malachi and one from Isaiah and one from Jeremiah and one from here and one from there. No, no, no. He's the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. All right. It's all about him. He's the fulfillment of all of it. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, Jesus, to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father, Holy Spirit, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Acts chapter 1. Luke record, writing about the same event, writes it this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So this ascension, this is 40 days after the resurrection. So Jesus hung out on the earth for almost six weeks after his resurrection, making multiple appearances to multiple people. Uh, In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 records it this way. 
He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, was saying, listen, there's 500 cats back in Jerusalem who saw Him. If you don't believe me, most of them are still alive. Go ask them. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Alright, so for 40 days, many proofs. Verse 4, and while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Alright? It's not for you to know when I'm going to come again. But you will receive, here's what you're to do, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it, when, when He, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Second coming. Second advent. And so that's what happened. So it's just sanctified imagination for just a minute. Try to picture this with me. Like on this side of the earth, imagine watching Jesus, arms extended like an Old Testament priest, just throwing out blessings upon people as He's going, you know, rising into the sky. If you've ever been to a passion play, you may have seen this, and the Hallelujah Chorus comes on, and that may have actually happened. I don't know, that's an amazing piece of music. But, you know, going into the sky, raining out blessings, the glory of the Lord, angels showing up in myriads all around Him. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory surrounding Him. And He goes up into a cloud until you can see Him no more. Alright? But that's just this side. Think about it from heaven's perspective. Heaven's side. Because if, as it says in Luke 15.10, that the myriads of angels rejoice over one sinner who repents then imagine what it had to be like when the Son came home whose blood bought those sinners' repentance. If they're rejoicing over one sinner who repents, heaven has a party, then imagine when Christ came home, the one who had saved all these people. Our imaginations cannot contain what must have gone on. And that's how this physically happened, alright? That's just the events. But what does it mean? Okay, what does it mean? What, what's the significance of the ascension? What are the implications of this? One of the implications has to do with what is sometimes referred to as Christ's session. Okay, that's an old word. We don't use it that way anymore. But that, what that is meaning, what, what, what that means is that it, this ascending into heaven and this celebration was all about the exaltation and the coronation of Jesus 
to the right hand of the Father. And so Hebrews chapter 1 says this, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so Christ's session, this seating at the right hand of the Father, which is the fulfillment of Psalm 110, is an exclamation point on the completion of His work of redemption. He sits down. It's finished. There's nothing left to do. His sacrifice for sin was sufficient for all who would believe. Okay, so that's one thing that Christ's session shows us. But the right hand of God is specifically a place of exaltation. All right, It's a place of power. And so Jesus' ascension all right, and seating at the right hand of the Father, and this is one of many warm blankets that the ascension teaches us, it means that Jesus reigns supreme over all our enemies. He's supreme over everything that we could face, that we could go through. First Peter 3.22 says, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. And so He's reigning, He's ruling, He's the King of the universe. Our biggest bombs on earth are like caps in His pistol. All the artificial intelligence we can come up with, the strongest computers we can put together are just like tinker toys in heaven. There's no arms race in the heavenlies. Jesus is all-powerful over all things, and all things are subject to Him. And this is good news because... Ephesians 6, remember, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus reigns over them. And He does so for our sake. He does so for the church. Ephesians chapter 1, God raised Him from the dead and made Him sit at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He has put all things under His feet and has made Him the head over all things for the church. He reigns over all things for His people, for the church. And so as one former pastor put it, Jesus is the King of the universe, and there is nothing Satan can do about it. And that's a warm blanket to hang on to. In the midst of this mess of a world, Jesus reigns over all rulers, all powers, all authorities. And with that power, that infinite power, He's for you. He's for you. He puts that power to work for you. For me. For His people. And He loves us. And He cares for us. And He provides for us. And there's not a thing Satan can do about it. But here's what Satan can do. He can put a veil over your mind so that hundreds of other things which will all pass away seem to shine more brightly than the power of Christ. And we will fall at those things and give idolatrous worship to those things. 
becoming so enamored with the big and the shiny and the new and the novelty of things that man can create and be so little awed by Christ's power and exaltation at the right hand of God. And so as we recognize the exaltation of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, let us both repent of our lack of regard for it, but then let us also be encouraged. He reigns supreme over all things. And He does so for us. That's one of the implications. He's seated at the right hand of the Father with all power. Another one is that He sends us the Holy Spirit. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then over in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so because Jesus ascended back into heaven, it means the sending of the Holy Spirit. Okay, during the Lord's Supper, he had said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus ascended back into heaven so that he could be nearer to his people always. Because through his spirit, he's not bound to one place in time in his physical body. But through his spirit, he is with all of us always, even to the end of the age. And so he sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, comforts us, pushes us, transforms us, counsels us, develops us. And develops in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Fruits of the Spirit. But when Jesus speaks... In, in the book of Acts, he, he, he specifically links ministry to the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so without the Holy Spirit, there is no ministry that happens, period. None. Okay, we have no strength in ourselves, so Jesus sends the Spirit, and this is how He empowers the church. And so, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're probably nodding your head and agreeing with that, and you should. Okay, but I want to break it down even further to show you, just in practical terms, make sure we understand how the Spirit does all the work, even as the guys we're talking about. It's not them in Japan, it's the Spirit. Because when we think about ministry, understand this, without the Spirit, okay, the preaching of the Gospel or your evangelism will have zero effect. None. I don't care how persuasive you are, how zilch, nada, no effect whatsoever. Doesn't matter what you say, without the Spirit, no effect at all. And that's because faith in Christ and repentance for sin are gifts of the Holy Spirit. No one ever came to faith in Christ without the Spirit's regenerating work. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is what? This faith is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. 
And so the faith to believe is a gift of the Spirit. That's why I pray for people all the time and I say, Father, give them the gift to believe. You would not believe if it were not for the kindness of Christ in regenerating your heart through the Holy Spirit, whereby giving you the gift of faith. And so apart from the Spirit, there is no ministry, there are no conversions, but Christ has sent the Spirit. And so as we take the Gospel to others, this good news does not come to people in words alone. The First Thessalonians chapter 1, now it comes also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and so it will have an effect. Because the Spirit is with us. But there's more. There's another implication of the ascension. And it's that Christ now, as our great high priest, intercedes for us. Okay, He intercedes for us. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercessions for them. And this is another, at least for me, hugely warm blanket for my soul. That this exalted, reigning, and ruling Son of God prays for me. He intercedes before the Father for me. And for you. And here's the good news. He's Jesus. His prayers don't fail. They always, always work, happen, are answered the way He wants. The way He desires. His prayers don't fail. And so hang on to that. And pull, pull it as a warm blanket around your soul in the midst of whatever you're going on, whatever situations you face in life, whatever hurts, worries, stumbles, whatever it may be. The Savior of sinner holds you in His hands. He carries you through it and all the time He's praying for you. I mean, in the midst of your chronic pain, Jesus is praying that your physical weakness will not stop you from trusting in His goodness. In the midst of your troubled marriage, Jesus is praying that your alienation will not stop you from trusting His love. That He is there and that He never walks out. He never leaves. He never forsakes. In the midst of your financial struggles, Jesus is praying that our urgent concern about paying the bills will not stop us from trusting in Him to provide for them in the midst of our secret discouragement or depression. Jesus is praying that in our dark night of the soul, we will not stop trusting in Him to lead us into the light. In the midst of our wandering again and again and again into sin, Jesus is praying that we will not stop trusting in His forgiveness. He's praying as we study in Luke 22 that our faith will not fail. And in a million other ways, Jesus is praying for you. And then a fourth implication, real quick, is that Jesus will come again. I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. 
And so this is just another reason why the disciples could walk away from that moment with joy. Jesus, just a few weeks before, had promised them, Luke 21, 26, for the power of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He's coming again. As we talked about last week, and He's coming with restoration to fix all that's gone wrong in the world. And sin and death and sorrow and pain and hatred and greed and injustice will be extinct. And forever we will be with our Lord in the new heavens and the new earth, full restoration of all things. And if His followers rejoice at His going away and return to Jerusalem with great joy, what kind of joy are we going to have when He comes again? What a day of rejoicing that will be. And so the implications of the ascension are just such warm blankets for the soul. It reminds us he's reigning and he's ruling in supreme power over all things and all of our enemies and nothing can touch us unless Christ allows it. It reminds us that he's given us the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is with us always. It reminds us that Jesus is praying for us and concerned with us and loves us and cares for us always and that he will come again. All right. All these warm blankets, these implications of the ascension. And so then how should we respond? What should we do on the backside of that, of knowing those things? We should respond exactly the way Jesus' followers did. With worship and witness. Alright, how should we respond? We should respond with worship and witness. And not worship just as singing. Okay, but life. Because all of life is worship. Not just singing. All of life is worship. God created all of it. And He doesn't say, hey, give me this little slice of your life. He says, give me your life. And then together, uh, you know, live your life for me and with me and in me and through me. And so your job and your school, your relationships, your hobbies, all of these are to be places of worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of it. And so we respond to the ascension of Jesus with worship for who He is, the Son of God, and what He's done. Life, death, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven. And so worship Him. Be enamored with Him. Love Him. Enjoy Him. And let that fuel a heart of witness. Because everybody needs to know Jesus. Everybody. Luke 24 says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to all nations. Right? Not geopolitical states. He's talking about people groups. People separated off by linguistic or ethnic uh, diversity that form a, their own people group. All peoples need to know about Jesus. And so that's what part of our Christmas missions offering is all about. Helping to get the gospel message out to people who've never heard. The 1.8 billion people on this planet today who've never even heard the word Jesus, let alone understand who Jesus is. They haven't even heard the word Jesus. 1.8 billion. Helping to get the gospel to them. But it's not just about giving so that others can do that, but it's about us taking the gospel message to others. And so, listen, as a Christian, okay, it is 
like fighting for justice is a big deal. Showing mercy to others is a big deal. Seeking the health and the welfare of others is a big deal. Jesus healed people. He fed the hungry. He loved and cared for the outcast, the marginalized, the frowned upon people of society. Okay, and so we should do the same. We should do the same. We should be concerned with these. These are big deals. And we still need more people to uh, just right here in Noensville to adopt families and children through uh, the Noensville Food Pantry, a ministry of our of our church. So we can just show just in very practical ways the love of Christ and help people who might not otherwise have a Christmas have a Christmas. And so there's still families and children who need to be adopted. You can go to our Facebook page. Um, it's a uh, you, sign up genius. That's it. You can sign up on there and fill it out. And Or if you have questions about that, uh, you can talk to our ministry assistant, Debbie Nolan. But do that tomorrow, not today. She doesn't work on Sundays. We need to do a little better job of that as a church. Okay, Tomorrow you can talk to her. But we need to do that. Okay? We need to do that. We need to help. We need to love. We need to show it in practical terms and just beyond that, just love all people. Okay? Love our neighbors, ourselves, because all people are made in the image of God. And therefore, they're worthy of respect and dignity and value regardless of anything. Okay? Anything. Regard, just inherent. They are a human. They have the image of God in them. They are inherent of, of dignity and worth and value. And so we need to do these things. We, we need to fight for and help and push and love and care. These are non-negotiables. This is absolutely, we, we do this as Christians. But those things in and of themselves cannot save anyone. Okay, people not only need good deeds, but even more than that, they need good news. They need the gospel message. And so I'm not saying good news and good deeds need to be divorced. They absolutely shouldn't. As Christians, they can't be. But I am saying that the good news of Jesus is not something that can be understood just through actions. It can't just be seen. It has to be said. It's good news about Christ's sinless life, His substitutionary death, His bodily resurrection. So everybody attributes this quote to this guy named Francis of Assisi, you know, Preach the gospel when necessary. Use words. That's the dumbest thing that's ever been said. You can't talk about the gospel without words. I get what he's saying. Show it as well. Yes. But you've got to eventually open your mouth. And so we can't just do good deeds. We also have to tell good news. That Jesus died for sin. That He rose in victory over it and that he's the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And we need to tell everybody this, from our neighbors to the nations. Why? Because Jesus is the ascended Lord of all things, supreme over all things. Over all people, of all times, all tribes, all tongues, they're all under his sovereign rule and everybody needs to know him. And someone's like, but Joe, that's going to be confrontational at times, telling it's really unloving to tell someone that they're wrong. No, I think it's unloving to keep quiet while someone worships a false god and goes to hell. 
I think that's unloving. And so we tell people about Jesus as an act of love, beginning with our neighbors, out to the nations. And we do this with grace. We do this with kindness. We do this with patience and wisdom. Don't be an idiot. But we do this. We do this. And so this Christmas, let's do this. A couple times a year, people are very open to having spiritual conversations. And Christmas is one of them. Just talking, just talking about... I mean, Eric can tell you where is it? He's talking about the basics of Christianity. Let's read the Gospel of Mark together and just talk about what Christianity is about. And so let's do this. This Christmas, we'll share the love of Christ in deed, good deeds, but also with good news. And let's learn from the ascension. And let's wrap these warm blankets of its significance around ourselves, that He reigns and rules, that He sent His Spirit, that He prays for us, that He comes again, that He loves us, that He's for us, that all of His power, He's working in our lives for our ultimate best. Let's wrap that around as a warm blanket in our lives. And then let's seek to give that warm blanket to others. As an act of neighbor love and of worship of Jesus. Because that's the greatest gift you could ever give to someone. The greatest gift that exists in all the world did not sit underneath a tree. It hung on one. And so it's worship. And let's witness. Let's pray. Father, you are holy. You are a big God. And would you inflame our hearts with an understanding of your massive supremacy and sovereignty? That you are a roaring lion of Judah, not a house cat we can tame and pet. You do what you want. You reign in the heavenlies. All power and glory is yours. And you have exalted Jesus at your right hand. And we thank you for This hope that you are in control and you are supreme. Because our lives seem out of control so much of the time. But you are in control. And you are working all things for your people. Those who love you. Worship you for their good. Ultimate good. And you you comfort us with your spirit. And Jesus, you pray for us. And we long for the second advent. And so, Father, help us, help our souls to be encouraged and feel the love and the hope of these truths and hold them tightly, hold on to them tightly during this season. But not just hold on to them to keep them to ourselves, but to give them away so that others might know that you know your love and your grace and your mercy and your hope and your kindness towards us in Christ.
We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.